0: and welcome to the imagineer podcast your unofficial guide to all things disney i'm your host matthew Crawl, and this is episode number 50 of the imagineer podcast because it's episode 50 our golden episode i want to talk with you today about a classic walt disney world attraction it's one i've gotten many requests to discuss and one I wanted to wait for the appropriate time to share with all of you. And that attraction is none other than Spaceship Earth over at EPCOT. There's a rich history to the backstory of EPCOT and so much to explore. So in today's episode, we're going to dive into the backstory, some fun facts, history and of course, a ride through of Spaceship Earth. So we'll journey on the attraction together to give you the chance to relive the magic of Spaceship Earth and to tell you a little bit about what the attraction has to offer. At the end of the episode, I'll come back and tell you a little bit more about how you can connect with the Imagineer podcast on all of our social media channels and how you can help to inspire and create the future of the show. So, grab some headphones, pull up your favorite armchair, and enjoy this episode of the Imagineer Podcast. When Epcot opened to the public in 1982, it wasn't exactly the experimental prototype city of tomorrow that Walt Disney had envisioned in the 1960s. Walt had envisioned a large-scale, interactive city complete with city residents, a commercial center, schools, offices, parks monorail transportation, a nearby airport for visitors to easily get to and from the city center, and a theme park completely different from Disneyland. The park that opened in 1982 wasn't quite the city Walt had dreamed up, although Walt Disney World in several ways achieved that dream, which we'll be sure to talk about in the future, but the park was in many ways a tribute to Walt's vision. When Walt shared his vision for Epcot on television, he said to the public, Epcot will take its cue from the new ideas and new technologies that are now emerging from the creative centers of American industry. It will be a community of tomorrow that will never be completed, but will always be introducing and testing and demonstrating new materials and new systems. And Epcot will always be a showcase to the world of the ingenuity and imagination of American free enterprise. At the dedication ceremony on October 24, 1982, 23 days after the park opened, Card Walker, who worked closely with Walt Disney and was at the time the company's chief executive officer, delivered the park's dedication, which still exists on a plaque near the park entrance and reads, to all who come to this place of joy, hope, and friendship, welcome. Epcot is inspired by Walt Disney's creative vision, Here, human achievements are celebrated through imagination, wonders of enterprise, and concepts of a future that promises new and exciting benefits for all. May Epcot Center entertain, inform, and inspire, and above all, may it instill a new sense of belief and pride in man's ability to shape a world that offers hope to people everywhere. Future World was perhaps the greatest tribute to Walt, focusing on future technology being developed by the world's greatest minds today. The Imagineers split Future World into two halves, which is something we covered in the episode about Ellen's energy adventure. But as a refresher, the two halves of Future World include Future World East and Future World West. The core theme of Future World East focused on engineering and physical sciences such as mechanical engineering, physics, energetics, and biology. Future World West was devoted to natural and human sciences, including psychology, agriculture, and marine biology. Meanwhile, the center of Future World brought it all together with inventions, the Fountain of Nations, and the park's signature icon, Spaceship Earth. Spaceship Earth opened with EPCOT on October 1st, 1982, and its theme was focused around communication the driving force that led to the development of civilization, the growth of our technology, and the bright future we strive to achieve. Utilizing Omnimover technology, the Imagineers would tell guests the story of human communication, beginning with the early cave drawings from the Stone Age, It should come as no surprise that the vehicles actually journey upwards as the story progresses, which is not only practical for the track design, but also helps to better convey the progress of human communication. After the Stone Age, guests learn about Ancient Egypt, the Phoenicians, the Greek and Roman empires, the Dark Ages, Middle Ages, Renaissance, Industrial Revolution, Machine Age, Space Age, and Information Age, and of course all of the technological inventions and innovations that led to the growth and development of our system of communication. The Imagineers then bring us back to Earth by sharing what our bright future of communication might look like, including the technology being developed today and the significance of a global communication system that will make our large planet seem like a small world after all. One of the reasons Spaceship Earth is so iconic, though, is its design. Now, prior to 1982, nobody had successfully developed a geodesic structure. Domes had been created, of course, but never a full sphere. The geodesic design was actually envisioned by Ray Bradbury, the American author famous for writing Fahrenheit 451 and who was a personal friend of Walt Disney. Ray also helped to write the original storyline for the attraction. Now, The structure itself was actually manufactured by Simpson, Gumpertz, and Hager, Inc., who also designed New York City's Grand Central Terminal. Talk about a resume. They designed New York City's Grand Central Terminal, and later, of course, Spaceship Earth, among many other projects in there as well. Meanwhile, the appearance of Spaceship Earth and the name itself was based on the work of legendary architect and futurist Buckminster Fuller. Despite the complicated design that Ray Bradbury had set out for the geodesic structure, the Imagineers of course were up to the task with John Hench leading the design for Spaceship Earth. Thinking creatively, the Imagineers created an ingenious solution. Instead of creating one large structure, they would create two structures in one. First, six angled beams, which were placed up to 130 feet in the ground, would support an above ground dome making up more than 50% of the full structure. The dome would then be connected to another smaller dome that was going to be hanging upside down. The Imagineers then covered both structures with another additional layer of panels to make the two structures appear as one 180 foot tall. 160-foot diameter geodesic sphere, so it's actually another Imagineering trick. It's an illusion. We're not looking at one structure, we're looking at two. And knowing that it rains frequently in Central Florida, the Imagineers also designed a brilliant drainage system that would prevent guests from being drenched from running water around the perimeter of the sphere, instead funneling rain through a series of gutters into the World Showcase Lagoon, which is so brilliant because if you think about if you were to go outside with a ball, let's say, in the pouring rain, you would see on the sides of the ball, all of this water just drenching around the perimeter. But instead, because that would happen with Spaceship Earth, the Imagineers looked ahead to see that that would happen and design that series of gutters that now prevents guests from getting soaking wet, although, of course, they will still get wet if it is going to be raining very heavily. Altogether, Spaceship Earth weighs 7,760 tons and holds a volume of more than 2.3 million cubic feet. The outside of the geodesic sphere is covered by 11,324 triangular Alucaban tiles, Not surprisingly, Spaceship Earth took 26 months to construct and remains one of the most interesting and beautiful architectural structures in the world. Now, before we talk about the story of Spaceship Earth, I'd love to share a clip from a famous interview from Ray Bradbury, which was led by Disney historian Leonard Malton. In this interview, Ray talks about his relationship with Walt, his perceptions of Epcot, and his work with the Walt Disney Company.
1: Uh, When did you meet Walt Disney? It was a wonderful thing. I was Christmas shopping one day about 40-odd years ago. I was in a department store, and I saw a man coming across the store with a huge load of presents in his hands and his head tucked over the top. And I looked at his face and I said, My God, that's Walt Disney, my hero. I admired him since I was eight years old. So I ran over to him and I said, Mr. Disney, he said, yes. He said, my name is Ray Bradbury. He says, I know your books. I said, oh, thank God. He says, why, well, thank God. I said, because someday in the near future, I want to take you to lunch. And then he said, tomorrow. How about that? <laughs> when? When's the last time someone said tomorrow to you? So the next day, I was in his office. He had a card table, soup and sandwiches. And we babbled like a, a couple of kids. One aspect of Walt's personality and mindset and worldview was that he really was a forward-thinking man, and in many ways, I think he was a futurist. Would you agree with that assessment? He was ahead of everyone in the whole world, as far as I'm concerned. The things he did as a cartoonist and animator during the 20s and 30s, putting his reputation, his name. His money on the line, people told him that he couldn't make sound cartoons. He made them. They said, you can't make Snow White, it won't work. He put all of his money in that, got loans on his studio, put that out. Very successful. Fantasia took a huge chance. It was years ahead of his time. It still is. Still is. He gambled on that and for a little while lost because... The film didn't make that much money. But then, about six years later, it started going out in the world and people realized what he had done. So with uh, Disneyland, with his work at the World's Fair in New York in 1964, 65, proved that he was head of everyone, always. And he led his colleagues, of course, and his staff in the same direction. And they often didn't know where he was leading them, but they caught on fast. Let me give you another story. I came back from Paris one time about 10 years ago, went to Disneyland, and I looked on the side of Sleeping Beauty's castle, and I called John Hench over at Imagineering. I said, I just noticed something about Sleeping Beauty's castle. There's a spire there that I saw last on top of Notre Dame and the Palais de Justice in Paris. I said, how long has that been there on Sleeping Beauty's castle? 20 years. I said, who put it there? He said, Walt did. I said, why? Because he loved it. I said, oh, that's why I love Walt Disney. It cost $100,000 to build a spire you didn't need. The secret of Disney is doing things you don't need and doing them well, and then you realize you needed them all along. When did you first have occasion to work for and with the Disney company? I wrote an essay about Herman Melville and Jules Verne as being great representatives of the American will, the American blasphemy. Uh, Jules Verne was our French uncle. But part of the American blasphemy of opposing nature on the proper grounds, Uh, Ahab went too far saying he would strike the sun if it insulted him, and, and Nemo came along and said, don't strike the sun, plug into it with the scientific method and light the seas of the world. When well, I wrote this essay, people in charge of the United States Pavilion at the New York World's Fair read it and came to my house here and said, we've come to give you a $50 million building. I said, come in, come in. <laughs> and I said, what's this all about? Said, they said, we're building the United States pavilion, and we think you can do a history of the United States, starting with Columbus and ending with space travel. So uh, because of that essay, I took over. The Disney people saw, long way around to the point here, the Disney people well, I saw what I'd seen, uh, what I'd done, And they came to me and said, we have a $50 million building, too. Will you help us stuff it with metaphors? So I worked with John Hench and helped create Spaceship Earth down at Epcot. Now, Epcot is another great, of course, manifestation of Walt's interest in the future and what the future could mean to all of us, to the average person, in changing what we see as our everyday life. When I was a kid, I went to see the Chicago World's Fair, the Century of Progress. Mm -hmm. I was madly in love with it. I became an architect in my mind. I didn't want to go home at night. It was so beautiful. My parents had to drag me out. Then I discovered two years later that the damn fools are going to tear it down. And I thought, how stupid to tear down a dream when we need it, huh? And all the World's Fairs... Except in the case of the French, they were smart and kept up a lot of their buildings from a hundred years ago the Eiffel Tower and the Palais, the, the, the Grand Palais and what have you. So uh, I, th- I always thought when I was a child that someone should build a permanent worlds Fair and improve our minds and educate us to dreams constantly, day after day, for a lifetime and that's what Disney did. Mm-hmm. They built Epcot. It's a permanent World's Fair. It sheds its skin on occasion. They put in new exhibits, so they refresh the whole process. And if that doesn't represent Walt Disney, nothing does.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I always love listening back to stories like these because They teach us so much about the history of Disney, and I would encourage you to always look out for these kinds of interviews because that's how I have learned so much about the history of the Walt Disney Company. Now, of course, the other element of Spaceship Earth that guests have come to love is the ride inside the structure. The Omnimover, which lasts approximately 15 minutes, begins at the ground level and slowly curves its way around the outer ends of the sphere toward the top of the structure. Believe it or not... Originally, the Imagineers were hoping to bring the attraction all the way to the top of the inside of the sphere, but they had to scale it back because of the added weight of the extra track and the show scenes, which would have made it too heavy to support. But once the attraction does reach the upper portion of the structure, guests find themselves on the moon looking back at the planet Earth. The vehicles then rotate backwards and descend down a steeper track through the middle of the structure. Because of its complex design, Spaceship Earth is also notorious for having a complicated series of emergency walkways and stairways, so complicated in fact that many new cast members even find themselves getting lost inside the sphere and having to leave this trail of uh, breadcrumbs through the walkways to make sure they can find their way back to where they came from. While many think of Spaceship Earth in its current form, it's actually the fourth version of the attraction. When it first debuted in 1982, the narrator for Spaceship Earth was Lawrence Dobkin, an American television actor famous for his roles in The Ten Commandments, Patton, and The Wild West. After Bell Systems, the original sponsor for the ride, broke apart into smaller companies in 1984, AT&T became the official sponsor for the attraction, and in 1986, the Imagineers created a new narration and score for the ride. In the second version, legendary American journalist Walter Cronkite became the narrator. And a new song, Tomorrow's Child, which was written by Ron Ovedia and Peter Stugard, became the attraction's core theme. Before we talk about the more recent versions of Spaceship Earth, though, I would like to actually play for you some brief clips from the first two versions of this attraction. For the sake of time, I'm, of course, not going to play the full attraction. You can find both on YouTube, but these clips should give you a better idea of what Spaceship Earth was like in the the 1980s and the early 1990s.
2: Where have we come from? Where are we going? The answers begin in our past, in the dust from which we were born. Answers recorded on the walls of time. So let us journey into that past to seek those walls, to know
3: ourselves, and to prove the destiny of our spaceship Earth. So let us
4: welcomes you to Spaceship Earth and invites you to explore the story of communications. And now, your host, Walter
5: Cronkite.
6: For eons, our planet has drifted as a spaceship through the universe. And for a brief moment, we have been its passengers. Yet in that time, we've made tremendous progress in our ability to record and share knowledge. So let's journey back 40,000 years to the dawn of recorded history. We'll trace the path of communications from its earliest beginnings to the promise of the future. We have entered a wondrous new age, the age of information, a time of new promise and new hope for ourselves and Spaceship Earth. is unbounded by space and time. Centuries of information stand ready to reach us in an instant. Our link with the past, our hope for the future. our knowledge and tools of communication will continue to grow and improve. We'll discover new ways to share our ideas and dreams to create a better world for today, tomorrow, and
0: As I said, those two versions represented the first 12 years of Spaceship Earth's history. Then, on August 15, 1994, Spaceship Earth closed to undergo a major refurbishment, including some minor tweaks to the beginning and the middle of the ride, and greater updates to the end of the ride as the Omnimover descends back to Earth. In fact, many guests and perhaps several of you probably don't remember that the backwards portion of the ride used to include several more show scenes that are now covered up in the modern version. Many of these show scenes were updated in 1994 to focus on newer technology. When the attraction reopened on November 23, 1994, guests were introduced to a new ride score, which was based on Bach's Sinfonia Number no. 2 in C minor, to be very specific, and a new narrator, Jeremy Irons, who had just completed work on The Lion King as the voice actor for Scar. Jeremy's voice could be heard on Spaceship Earth for nearly 13 years, from November 1994 until July 2007. By 2007, AT&T's sponsorship of Spaceship Earth had ended, and a new sponsorship, Siemens, had taken over in 2005. The structure had also seen the addition of a giant Mickey wand for the Millennium Celebration, which was taken down in 2007, just in time for Epcot's 25th anniversary. In 2007, Disney also announced that Spaceship Earth would undergo another refurbishment for its 25th anniversary. In December 2007, when the attraction soft launched, guests would find a new narrator, Dame Judi Dench, and a new score written by composer Bruce Broughton, and we talked about him in episode 42. He also wrote the scores for The Timekeeper, Ellen's Energy Adventure, Soarin' Around the World, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, Rescuers Down Under, and other famous projects. The most significant change in this version was the removal of the end show scenes as the Omnimovers descended back to Earth. The show scenes were tarped up with black cloth, and new special effects were added in addition to a new interactive screen in each vehicle that would allow guests to choose their own ending to the attraction. Plus, they could listen to the narration in different languages, including Spanish, French, Portuguese, and uh, many more languages available as well. This version of Spaceship Earth is also the one that brought us the now-famous phrase, thank the Phoenicians, even though the scene had existed long before Judy Dench ever took the mic and uttered that phrase. On October 10th, 2017, a decade later, Siemens officially ended its sponsorship of Spaceship Earth and Illumination's Reflections of Earth. Since then, both attractions have gone without an official sponsor. A year later, the Walt Disney Company announced that Spaceship Earth would undergo another major refurbishment. This one, which is projected to begin in late 2019 or early 2020, at least as of the recording of this episode, will be its largest renovation yet, taking approximately two years to complete. While we don't know exactly what the Imagineers have in store, history has shown that each version has stood the test of time. Without a doubt, I am very optimistic about the future of this attraction, and I believe that the Imagineers will prove me right when the attraction reopens in 2022 for Epcot's 40th anniversary. Looking back at this attraction's history, we can see what makes it so famous. Spaceship Earth is both simple and poetic, iconic and timeless. It details the history of our communication and declares the utopian future we might enjoy with global technology. It's grounded in realism and optimistic in spirit, keeping one foot in the past and one foot in the future. It's a love letter to Walt Disney, who embodied the same principles in his own life. It is for that reason and so many others that so many Disney fans around the world love this classic attraction. If Epcot is the place Walt dreamed to life, Spaceship Earth is its spirit. I think it's safe to say that Spaceship Earth will forever be the heart of Epcot and that generations of Disney fans will come to fall in love with this attraction time and time again. Of course, it's only appropriate that I take you along for a ride with me on Spaceship Earth. In particular, I'd like to play the most recent version of this attraction in binaural audio. And after I close out the podcast episode, I'll then play for you the full Jeremy Irons version for those of you who want to stick around and relive the late 1990s, early 2000s version, which also happens to be the version I remember the most from my childhood going to Epcot. As with other attraction experiences, I recommend listening with headphones or earbuds, but you should also find it enjoyable to listen on speakers or in your car. Either way should be perfectly fine and give you a great 360 degree audio experience. So without further ado, let's hop in our time machine to enjoy Dame Judi Dench's current version of Spaceship Earth.
3: That of moving at same speed as and watch yourself above the, of the, the, the vehicle. The vehicle
7: is a the The slide board the foot For your safety, remain seated with your hands on the speed inside the vehicle. And please watch the show.
6: Take small children by the hand and watch your step on the moving platform. The platform is moving at the same speed as your time machine vehicle. Please take small children by the hand and watch your step on the moving platform. The platform and your time machine vehicle moving at equal speed.
7: The sliding door on your time machine. Main seat, your hands, arms,
6: feet, and legs inside in the field and please wash
3: your feet. Oh, <laughs> and, and watch your step you're on platform for your with your hands, arms, and legs inside the field and please watch your Three. All right, and then two for row the For your safety, inside. the you please watch
7: your the core of the same school of thought is that there is a
6: Earth Control. On behalf of Siemens, welcome aboard. On the map in front of you, please show us where you're from while we input your timeframe. to the future. All systems are go, linking you now to your guide.
4: So let's travel back in time together. I'll show you how our ancestors created the world we know today. And then it will be your turn to create the world. recorded knowledge stayed behind. Now let's move ahead to ancient Egypt, because something is about to happen here that will change the future forever. in turn creates better record-keeping plans, designs and unfortunately taxes. But it also brings with it the dawn of great civilizations. At this point each civilization has its own form of writing, which none of the others can understand. But the Phoenicians, who trade with all of them, have a solution. They create a simple common alphabet, adaptable how easy it was to learn your ABC of some of these books in the libraries of the Middle East, being watched over by Arab and Jewish scholars. Call it the first backup system. The books are saved, and with them are dreams of the future. In the meantime, here in Europe, monks toil endlessly recording books by hand is about to change. In 1450, Gutenberg invents the movable type printing press. Now knowledge can travel as fast as these new books. And travel they do. Books make it easier to invent the future in every field, and the result is an incredible explosion of innovation we call work.
6: is rotating backwards, you return to Earth. In preparation for your return to Earth,
4: years have been inventing the future one day at a time
7: to help you start your day the world will literally be at your fingertips because your home's information network lets you view your daily planner almost anywhere and since you don't enjoy cleaning robotic housekeepers will help you with your daily chores your smart home will know when it's time for you to leave and make sure you're dressed for success in your custom manufactured clothes of course your smart home has already sent for your automated car, which takes you where you want to go, while you relax and enjoy a beautiful view of the future. The end, or should I say the beginning, of your future.
4: So here's to the next 30,000 years on spaceship Earth. While no one for sure what we'll see or do, I do know it will be quite an adventure. An adventure that we'll take and make together.
3: See you in the future.
6: exciting world of new ideas and innovations made possible by Siemens Ingenuity. Your vehicle doors will open automatically. Please keep your hands away from the doors and step carefully onto the moving platform.
0: And with that, we close out episode number 50 of the Imagineer podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode about Spaceship Earth. As I mentioned earlier, it is one of the most iconic and classic attractions at Walt Disney World and completely embodies the spirit that Walt Disney had envisioned forever. It is one of those attractions I have loved since I was a kid. I still have to make a habit of riding it every time. I visit epcot and it really wouldn't be a complete epcot day without taking a journey on spaceship earth and i of course want to hear from you what do you love most about this classic attraction we saw that there are four different versions of spaceship earth as of the recording of this episode so i'd love to know what your favorite version of spaceship earth was was it the original was it the walter cronkite version jeremy irons or dame judy dench you can send me your feedback in so many different ways you can send me a direct message or a public message on any of our social media channels which include facebook and instagram you can find us there at Imagineer Podcast. You can also send me a tweet on Twitter at Imagineer Audio or a direct message there. I would encourage you as well to join our Facebook group, which is the Imagineer Podcast Disney Fan Community. If you go to facebook.com slash groups slash Imagineer Podcast, you can find it or go to Imagineer Podcast on Facebook and click on the community tab, which will take you over to that group. You can also send me an email, at imagineerpodcast at gmail.com or leave a voicemail on our imagineer podcast listener voicemail system which you could dial by calling 516-406-8376 and i'll leave that number in the notes below if you leave a voicemail i'll be sure to play your feedback on a future episode of the Imagineer Podcast. If you don't already subscribe to the show, I hope you'll hit that subscribe button. Whether you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, no matter where you prefer to listen to podcasts, we are there for you. So I will. I hope you will hit that subscribe button. And if you would take a moment to leave a rating and a review in the iTunes store, that does so much to help our Podcast community, and I do want to give a special thank you to several new reviews. I have not one, not two, not three, but four five star reviews to read to you. And the first one comes from Blue Sparrow27, who says, Great Disney podcast. I only learned about this podcast about a month ago, and I think I've already listened to almost all of the episodes. Wow, that's amazing. As a huge Disney fan, I always love learning fun facts or new tips about Disney parks. One of my favorite favorite episodes was the interview with Guy Spagnoli and hearing him talk about the experience he had working at Disney World. Blue Sparrow 27. Thank you so much. I also really enjoyed speaking with Guy. He is always a pleasure to chat with and has just this embodiment of Disney magic. I also want to read a review from Taylor.stitch, who says, My favorite podcast. I love informative Disney podcasts that explain the history of rides and certain aspects of the park, and this podcast has never failed to amuse me. Great to listen to before a park trip or just for fun. Taylor.stitch. Thank you so much as well for leaving that great review. Two more to go. First one here, or the next one up, comes from mm, dollar sign. That's literally what it is. It says, Wonderful podcast, five stars. I really enjoy listening to Disney Park land area music from time to time. The first Imagine Your podcast I checked out was the Tower of Terror episode. It's episode 45, by the way. And it was in the same spirit appreciation of the music and the details of these attractions. Very thorough and passionate, so immersive and fun. Great podcast. Keep it up. Mm, Dollar sign. I definitely will do my best. And last but not least comes from Foreman J14 who says, perfect Disney podcast, five stars, amazing, thank you by the way. Um, I just binged every episode within the last month and I absolutely love it. That's ambitious, that's awesome. (laughs) Uh, As a former Walt Disney World cast member, me too, and someone who has visited a number of times, this podcast takes me right back to the parks. The combination of facts, attraction, audio, and guests that are just as excited about Disney make it a perfect show Thank you. My favorite episodes, best cues, Tower of Terror, and internships. Foreman J14, that really means so much. I don't know if we're perfect or I'm always trying to make this podcast better and better, but I am so glad that it has been entertaining you up until this point. As I mentioned, if you have not yet left a rating and a review in the iTunes store, it really does so much to help our podcast. And thanks to all of these new reviews and everyone else who has reviewed in the past. More importantly, the best thing you can do to help this show is to share it out. Whether you share out your favorite episode, the podcast as a whole, your favorite social media post, if you share it to Facebook, Instagram to your Facebook stories. Instagram stories are in a post. Share it out on Twitter. Share it with your friends. No matter how you share out the podcast, every share does so much to help our community. And I want to thank all of you who continue to share the word about the Imagineer Podcast. And lastly, if you want to take your love of The Imagineer Podcast to the next level, I would encourage you to visit patreon.com slash Podcast to learn how you can become an Imagineer Podcast VIP, which goes to help the show financially and gets you some extra special perks and rewards in return, including perks like discounts on merchandise, uh, early access to every podcast episode, some bonus podcast episodes, as well other perks including access to a private Facebook group, to my personal Instagram page, as well as just my close friends group on Instagram, as well as a monthly video call with other VIPs and so much more. So if you head to patreon.com slash imagine your podcast, you can learn more about membership and how you can help to support the show financially. Finally, I can't believe we're at episode number 50. I started this podcast over two years ago at this point, just for fun, thinking that if I could perhaps entertain and just give a few people who love Disney some information and help connect them to the Disney magic, that that would be enough. And in those last two years, in these last two years, I have been overwhelmed with the love and support from all of you. Please know I have just as much joy, if not more joy in return, knowing how much you love this podcast. It is so rewarding to me. I hope you continue to enjoy this podcast, this community. If there's anything I could do to make this podcast better for you, this community better for you, or help to bring you some extra Disney magic, please, please reach out to me and let me know what I could do to help. But please know how much I love and appreciate all of you so very much for giving me the opportunity to do what I love, to share my passion about Disney, and again, to know that it is received as well as it is on your end, just means so much to me. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so very much. Remember, as always, it is always possible to go after your dreams too, and I hope you are doing what you're passionate about, finding happiness for yourself and creating that happiness in your life. Remember, as always, that amazing quote from Horizons. If you can dream it, you could do it. Thank you so much for listening to the Imagineer podcast, and here's to the next 50 episodes and beyond.
4: TNT welcomes you aboard Spaceship Earth. Journey with us now to the dawn of recorded time as we explore the amazing story of human communication.
2: and miraculous spaceship our planet has sailed through the universe of time and for a brief moment we have been among its many passengers from the very beginning we have always sought to reach out to one another to bridge the gaps between us to communicate across a lonely hostile planet Our early ancestors spread out in search of food, shelter. With the development of language came a vital key to our survival. For the first time, we could share and learn from one another. We bonded together in small tribes and prospered, no longer isolated, no longer alone. Ages later, the Egyptians invented the first written communications, a complex language of hieroglyphic pictures and symbols with the creation of papyrus scrolls became the world's first piece of paper. Now, without ever leaving their palaces, pharaohs could deliver proclamations and decrees to subjects across the land. Phoenician merchants established the earliest commercial highways. Trading goods and information distant parts of call. To aid in record keeping. They created the first common alphabet and shared this new tool across the Mediterranean. In ancient Greece, the spoken word was elevated to a fine art. Philosophers debated with one another in plazas, and storytellers found a new forum for personal expression. The theater was born. The mighty Roman Empire bridged three continents with a vast system of roads, the fastest information highways the world had ever known. East, west, north, and south, all roads led to Rome. These same roads were turned against Rome by invaders whose destruction left ages of knowledge and wisdom in the ashes that would become the Dark Ages. abbeys. Monks toil endlessly in lonely isolation, copying ancient books of wisdom and revelations for future discoveries in books and essays. Poets, musicians, and artists, fueled by the passion of the age, created timeless works of beauty and majesty. wave of inspiration, we sailed into a bold new era of communication, bringing an explosion of tools and technologies which would bridge people around the world as never before. And as our appetite for information and knowledge grew, the world began to shrink. Today, we possess the ability to connect with one another instantly, anywhere on the planet. and information at the very speed of light. new tools will help us learn more about ourselves each other and the planet we share spaceship earth will become our virtual
7: classroom